Matthew 28, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through verse 17. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 1, listen now to the reading of God's holy word once again. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen, as He said. Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead, and indeed He is going before you into Galilee, where uh, there you will see Him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to bring His disciples' word. And as they went to tell His disciples... Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held Him by the feet and worshipped Him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see Me. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Then the eleven disciples went away to Galilee, to the mountain, which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, his holy word. O gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you, Father, for your true revelation to us found in your holy word. We thank you that you have given us your word in our own language, in our own tongue, that we can read it, we can understand it, and especially. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can understand the truth that is here and all that it declares for us as to how we might serve and glorify you and how it reveals you to us and your power and your glory and your might. And so we pray, Father, as we come to this particular passage this morning, we pray that your spirit would truly go forth with your word that would find within our hearts that rich, fertile soil that brings about great and abundant fruit for your glory. Lord, we pray for your blessing upon your word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Jesus, our Savior, lives. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. Indeed, if you remove the resurrection, everything else about our faith 
will come crashing down. The resurrection of Jesus, in fact, is the very reason that we've gathered together on this day, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. Because it was on this day that Jesus rose from the dead to rest from His work of salvation which He accomplished on the cross. And following His example, we now rest from our usual labors and activities on this, the Christian Sabbath, and we gather together to worship our risen Lord and Savior. The resurrection of Jesus secures for us the many, many promises that were made regarding our salvation. And it gives us great hope that one day for our own bodily resurrection from the dead on the last great day when Christ returns. And so praise God that our Savior lives. But as we consider this great event in our passage this morning, we see the truth of the resurrection confirmed, not only because of the unexpected witnesses, but also in how the enemies of our Lord tried everything in their power to prevent the resurrection. And yet they couldn't. In fact, every countermeasure that they put in place, uh, especially that we considered last time, it only further confirms the truth of Christ's resurrection. And this will certainly be a testimony against them, even as it is a rich blessing for those of us who believe. And so Matthew begins his account, verse 1, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and, Mary, and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Now, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the other Mary being the mother of, of James and Joseph, these two women were two of the women who had faithfully served Jesus and his disciples throughout his ministry. We saw that back in chapter 27, verse 56. Now we've already noted how they were present at, at Golgotha, right? sorrowfully witnessing their master and their Lord die a most horrible death. They witnessed the wrath and the curse of God being poured out on His Son for the sins of the world. They heard Him cry out, It is finished! As He breathed His last. And we noted last time that these same two Marys had also witnessed the burial of Jesus when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus laid Him in the tomb late on that Friday afternoon. These two men, of course, had previously been secret disciples of Jesus, but now, with their merciful deed, they revealed their faith to everyone. But the closest disciples of Jesus, the eleven, the men, were nowhere to be found, except for John. John was there at the foot of the cross. And these women, though, were there with Jesus every step of the way, quietly in the background, observing all that has been happening. And yet the repeated references to them in these accounts, and especially the repeated naming of them, the explicit naming of them, is a way to emphasize their significance, and as we'll see, also their reward. 
Now, Matthew doesn't give the purpose as to why they were going to the tomb uh, early on the first day of the week, but both Mark and Luke uh, tell us that they had come to anoint the body of Jesus with spices and oil. And this, of course, was the customary thing for the Jews to do to prepare the body for burial. But, of course, usually that was done before the body was actually buried. Well, remember, there was very little time on that Friday afternoon uh, as evening was coming, as approaching, and as the Sabbath would soon begin. And so they had, uh, Joseph and, and Nicodemus had to hurriedly uh, place the, the, the body of Jesus in the tomb. And so these faithful women had now come, after the Sabbath was over, to see that Jesus' body was properly prepared. And this truly attests to their deep love and their devotion for Jesus as they could have just easily just let it go. right? Oh, well, he's already buried and we don't have to worry about it. Even though now it was the third day since his death. No, they continued to show their commitment to the Lord. But what's interesting also in this act of love and devotion, we also see a shadow of doubts and unbelief. You see, they had gone to anoint a dead body. But they had neither taken to heart the words of Christ, nor realized that his, this task which they sought to do had already been accomplished. Remember, three times, Jesus repeated to his disciples, saying very clearly, deliberately, in very plain language, and specifically, that he would rise from the dead after his death. Back in Matthew 16, verse 21, he said that, he, that speaking of the Son of Man, he said, He must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, and be killed and be raised the third day. And then in Matthew 17, Jesus says again, The Son of Man, they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. And then again in Matthew 20, he says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be betrayed, and they will condemn Him to death, and deliver Him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day He will rise again. Jesus had told them time and time again that though He would be put to death, He also would rise from the dead on the third day. He even gave them the time. In fact, even the Pharisees knew this claim. Which is why they sought to place a guard at the tomb. These women shouldn't have been going to the tomb looking for a corpse. And the task which these women sought to accomplish, anointing the body for, for burial, well remember also that that had already been accomplished by Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, just one week prior. Remember the incident how uh, Judas had raised a great fuss about the expensive jar of perfume that was broken and, and that Mary had poured over Jesus. And Jesus kind of rebuked the, the crowd who were complaining and said, look, leave her alone. Matthew 26, he says, for in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. See, they should have listened to what he was saying all along, all those predictions he made about his resurrection and his, his death and his resurrection. Tie them together with this. Okay, he's, gonna, he's already going to be prepared for burial. We don't have to worry about that. He's going to be put to death because he's, then he's going to be raised again. 
And so, though it was out of true devotion and love, these women went to the tomb to anoint a dead body that had already been anointed and that was no longer dead. Yet even despite these doubts, the Lord had a great reward in store for these faithful women. Matthew records in verse 2 that there was a great earthquake and an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone. And then, as if nothing extraordinary had just happened, the angel sat on the rolled away stone waiting for these faithful women to approach. Matthew says of the angel's appearance that his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, confirming that this was no ordinary being, right? This was no human being. He was arrayed with heavenly glory and holiness. The glory and holiness of the Lord. What a great privilege for these women to be there at this time and witness the appearance of this angel. But you see, the reward for these faithful women wasn't the awesome sight of that angel, but it was the message that the angel proclaimed in verse 5. Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. This angel is the first being to declare the good news that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, just as he had promised. And these women were the first disciples to hear of this good news. And that, again, truly is a great honor. And the angel, even uh, to confirm it, even invites them in to view the empty tomb. See, this is where he lay. He's no longer here. He's gone. He lives. What a great honor placed upon these faithful women that they were the first to know that Christ had risen, risen indeed. But there was an even greater honor in store for them. In verse 8, we see that they went out quickly from the tomb and with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples' word. Now, of course, we can imagine the mixture of fear and joy would certainly be appropriate in this situation. Fear at the great sight that they had experienced, the earthquake and the, the angel descending, and, uh, and just because of the awesome privilege that they've just been granted knowing how unworthy they were and yet they've received this glorious news. And that's where their joy comes from. The news that their precious Savior, Jesus, truly lives. That He's conquered death. And that He has secured salvation for His people, just as He said. But as they go, we're told in verse 9, Behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Now certainly witnessing the appearance of the angel and being the first to receive the wonderful news that Jesus had risen from the dead was truly a great honor. But now these same faithful women are given the honor to be the very first ones of all Jesus' disciples to see the resurrected Lord himself. And what a glorious sight it must have been the one that they loved, the one who they'd seen be humiliated and put to death on the cross, He now lives. 
And they've seen it with their own eyes as He appears before them. And so they worship Him and they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Now both the angel and the resurrected Lord give these faithful women the same charge. In verse 7, the angel says, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. And then the resurrected Jesus in verse 10 says, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so go and tell. Go and tell is the repeated charge given to these women. They're appointed, once again, to be the very first human heralds of this good news. To go and tell of the resurrected Lord. Now in the absence of those who were closest to Jesus, those who had pledged their allegiance to Him, those who had then violated that allegiance by scattering like sheep without a shepherd, in the absence of the male disciples who are all somewhere, perhaps still hiding and fearing and weeping. And their absence to these women is given the great privilege of proclaiming to the men that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. The very proclamation of the centerpiece of the Christian faith is first given to these women. Now certainly this would have been unheard of, as we'll see shortly. And despite their doubts and lack of faith, their love, devotion, and courage was greatly rewarded. Perhaps even it was meant as a gentle rebuke for for the men. But there's a caution here. We shouldn't take this out of context and misapply it as some unfortunately do. We have to remember, this was an extraordinary event. And often when all others are silent... We know that God will use the most unlikely sources to proclaim His Word. And so there's no ground here, there's no precedent here to go against the the witness of the rest of the Scriptures and use this passage as a pretext for, for women serving as pastors or elders. This was a special honor bestowed on these particular faithful women. It's not meant to be generalized to all women of all time since then. These women were uniquely honored for their faithfulness, for their courage, and for their love. But there were other witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But these were neither faithful nor devoted. The soldiers, the very soldiers who are appointed by Pilate to watch over the tomb lest the disciples come and steal the body, they too were witnesses to the resurrection and these miraculous events. They were there when the earth shook and the angel descended from heaven and rolled away the stone. Surely, with such a display of power, glory, and unholiness, they had to know that this was no mere disciple who had come to steal away the body of this man. No, in fact, they understood exactly what was happening. And this is why we read in verse 4 that the guards themselves, just like the earth quaked, they quaked. They shook for fear of Him and became like dead men. Whereas the women 
Not that they actually... Whereas the women had reverential fear mixed with great joy, these soldiers were filled with a fear of horror and dread. So much so that they became like dead men. Now, not that they actually died, but it's they froze in place and maybe they passed out or lost consciousness. Whatever it was... They saw this sight and they knew it was nothing ordinary. (coughs) Once they regained their senses, they saw the angel was gone, the tomb was still open, and they could clearly see for themselves the body of Jesus was gone. And one thing was clear. Whatever happened, it certainly wasn't done by the disciples of Jesus. And so panicked, they go into the city and they report to the chief priests all that had happened in verse 11. Imagine these soldiers. Kind of an interesting situation they're put in. Because they're the very first ones to bring the news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to these religious leaders. To them, it was bad news. But they were heralds of the truth. Even though they didn't understand it at all. But the truth they brought forth wasn't going to be received. Having heard the witness of the soldiers of the resurrection of Jesus, or at the very least, that it was an angel or some heavenly being that came and took the body, not the disciples, the religious leaders did what they did best. They hardened their hearts against God's truth. And this hardening of hearts is made worse. As they, It's interesting, they, they don't outright reject the report of the soldiers. They don't even try to refute it and argue it. They accept it for what it was. An eyewitness account of what truly happened. But instead of humbling themselves, instead of embracing it, and instead of believing it, they merely sought to silence it. See, they couldn't have this report of the soldiers circulating around. And so they gathered a large sum of money and they bribed the soldiers to not only keep quiet about the truth, but to actually be the mouthpiece to spread lies. In verse 13, if anyone asked, tell them his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. <clears throat> And then after receiving assurance from the chief priests that they would appease the governor and make make them secure if the governor would happen to find out that these soldiers failed to do the very job that he appointed them to do, the soldiers also hardened their hearts. And they took the money and they spread the lies as instructed. Now we don't know if news ever did reach Pilate. And we don't know if the chief priests actually held up their end of the bargain and advocated for them. And I would say, knowing the chief priests, it was very unlikely that that they, they would stick up for them. We also don't know whether these men were ultimately put to death anyway for their failure of duty, which of course would have been the expected penalty. But we do know that their lies took root and spread and continue to be heard even at the time that Matthew is writing this gospel account, likely some 20 to 30 years later. 
the soldiers and the religious leaders knew the truth and that they hardened their hearts against it. But as we know, the truth always prevails. And it's that truth and the undeniable evidence that we now consider as we see that the resurrection of Jesus was a true factual historical event. And there are several witnesses to this truth. And first, of course, there's the witness of the women's testimony. It was indisputable. And yet, at the time, it presented a bit of a problem. Remember, women weren't highly regarded in Jewish culture and society. They were often considered as second-class citizens. And the law required at least two witnesses to testify, but those two witnesses had to be male, had to be men. Hence, likely, this was one of the reasons that when the women first went to tell the disciples that they, that Jesus had risen, that there was some disbelief. They wouldn't believe the report. They had to go see it for themselves. And we see even in this uh, glimpse of this in verse 17 that some doubted. This even affected the early church to an extent. One commentator notes that the news about the resurrection that the news about the resurrection had first been delivered by women was inconvenient and troublesome to the church for their testimony lacked value as evidence. See, it was considered embarrassing that the pivotal event of the Christian faith was first reported by the testimony of women. But here's the kicker and the divine glory in it all. The account of these women as well as their names, going to the tomb, being the first to witness the resurrection, being the first to see the Lord, being the first to proclaim that He is risen. The account is found in all four Gospels. It may have been embarrassing or inconvenient, but it's there. It's there because that's the way it happened. And the very fact that these accounts are in the Gospel is in itself a testimony of the integrity and truth of the Gospels as well as a fact of the resurrection. You see, it certainly would have been convenient and easy for the early church at some point to remove those endings and to change them and adjust them. But they didn't. Because it was the truth. And what we have here before us is actually truly what happened. And so the testimony of the women stands as a great witness to the truth and the fact of the resurrection. A second witness to the truth of the resurrection is the large stone that Joseph and Nicodemus rolled in place. The same stone that had been secured and sealed by the Pharisees and the soldiers. Certainly this stone would have been difficult even for some men to remove. But the women and the guards, they saw the angel roll the stone away. Now we ask, why was the stone rolled away? Was it to let Jesus out? No. He was already gone. The stone was rolled away so that the women, so the disciples, and yes, even the whole world could look in and see that the tomb was empty. And so... The stone rolled away as a witness to the resurrection. The third testimony is the angel 
Though the angel rolled the stone away, he didn't go in the tomb to retrieve the body. He didn't go in and take the body out. He simply sat on the stone after he rolled it away until the women approached where he announced to them that Jesus had already risen. And he even offers them an opportunity to consider the evidence, right? He says, again, come and see the place where they lay. And and when they looked in, they saw with their own eyes that Jesus wasn't there. It's interesting that an angel announced the birth of Jesus. And now an angel announces His resurrection. This confirms the truth of Christ's resurrection. A fourth testimony is that of the guards whom the Pharisees enlisted with the approval of Pilate. Though the lie that they were told to give was was spread, if you examine their story, if you examine this lie closely, it falls apart. See, first of all, no soldier with the penalty of death looming is going to admit to sleeping while on official duty. They're just not going to do it. If you pay them a large sum of money, because ultimately, even if they get paid the money, they could still be put to death. And if they truly did do that, and the chief priests uh, intervened for them, perhaps, to spare their lives, well, then what are their reputations? They would have no reputations. What kind of faithful and loyal soldiers would they be if they can't do the deed that they have been appointed to? And if they were pressed even a bit further, one might wonder well, how they could possibly have known the disciples came to steal the body when they were asleep. If indeed they were actually asleep. If they were asleep, how'd you know what was going on? It's absurd. And so their story doesn't add up. And it becomes a witness and a testimony to the truth of the resurrection. Fifth, we have the empty tomb itself as a witness to the truth of the resurrection. Again, there was no mistake made. And again, we looked at this a little bit last time, that the women went to the right tomb because they had been there at the burial, right? They had followed Joseph and and, uh, Nicodemus to the tomb. They had been across from it. They saw exactly what tomb it was where Jesus had been laid. And so they did not go to the wrong place. In fact, the angel confirms not only were they at the right place when he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay, but he actually made clear that they even were looking for the right person. right? That it wasn't somebody else that was being placed in the grave. Because even before the women spoke, the angel declared, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. Now, unless one of the two thieves crucified along with Jesus was also named Jesus, that was very unlikely. There was only one Jesus who was recently crucified and who was buried in the same garden. They were at the right place and they were seeking the right person. But he wasn't there. He was dead, has now risen. And the reality is that the empty tomb isn't denied by anyone. Not even the religious leaders, not even the enemies. They could only make up their own false accounts to account for an empty tomb because they couldn't argue against the empty tomb. Even today, the tomb is still empty. Never was a body found. 
And so the only plausible explanation is that what is recorded is exactly what happened. Jesus was raised from the dead. And then a final testimony to the truth of the resurrection is the various post-resurrection appearances of the Lord. The first being to the women as they're going back to tell the disciples. Now Matthew only records that appearance, uh, but the other gospel writers note several other appearances. And in fact, some were that later that same evening. Uh, the rest happened in, in Galilee for a period of 40 days. And Matthew covers that span at 40 days. He squeezes it into verses 16 and 17. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 gives a list of several of the post-resurrection appearances, including that the resurrected Lord was seen by over 500 people. And he says that most of those were even still alive when Paul was writing that letter to the Corinthians. And so the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus are indeed further facts to add to the pile regarding the truth of the resurrection. Truly, Jesus, who was crucified, dead and buried now lives. Again, we might ask, why is the resurrection so pivotal to our faith? Well, to summarize Paul's arguments in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is critical to the very foundation of our faith. The resurrection confirms for us the truth of God's word. For God had promised a deliverer from sin and death. He had promised a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And this was accomplished by Christ. The resurrection also confirms that Jesus, as the word of God come in the flesh, is also truth. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. His word was confirmed when the detailed predictions about his suffering, death, and resurrection came about. Exactly as he said it would. The resurrection confirms that God's perfect plan always prevails, even over the sinful actions of the wicked who tried everything and anything to thwart God's plan. Indeed, the resurrection of Jesus confirms for us Christ's victory over sin and death. Remember, at the cross, Jesus paid for our sin reversing the, the curse of uh, a destruction which Adam brought about by his first sin. But if Christ only died and he remained in the grave, we see our sins would be paid for, but the atonement couldn't be applied to us because the one who promised to apply them was dead. And so, if no, with no atonement applied to us, well, then we would still suffer the consequences of our sin, which is death. But with Christ's resurrection, He defeated death. And He is now able to apply the atonement to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection also removes, for those who trust in Christ, the fear or the sting of death. Hey, brothers and sisters, we can face death with, with a great hope and a hope of something better. We don't have to fear death because the sting has been removed. The Apostle Paul says that to, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. There's a glory to be gained in death. And so we don't have to fear because Christ our Savior 
took away that sting. The resurrection also confirms for us that we have a most wonderful hope. First, we have a great spiritual hope in that, though the, uh, in that through the living Christ we gain new life. Hey, that we who were once dead in sins and transgressions are now made alive in Christ because our Savior lives. The old man, the sin nature is put to death and the Spirit of Christ now brings life to our dead souls. But we also have a glorious hope that our bodies will also be raised from the dead. At the last great day, we'll be raised again. And though the souls of those who trust in Christ alone for salvation will will be with Him already, we will be uh, reunited with our bodies, changed and glorified just as the body of Christ at His resurrection was changed and glorified. The hope that we have in the resurrection of Christ is that one day we'll be raised again. We'll be made complete. We'll be made whole. We'll be made perfectly holy as we stand in the glorious presence of our God and our Savior forever and ever and ever. All to the glory of God alone. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks to you, Father, for your word to us and the reminder of the great hope and the promises that Christ secured for us, not only when he died on the cross, but when he rose again from the dead on the third day. What a blessing it is as we're reminded of the glory of the resurrection, the miracle that it was, and yet it's truth, and that it has truly withstood that every test and every criticism that our Savior truly lives. And because He lives, we now have new life in Him through the forgiveness of sins. And we have that glorious hope of eternal life in Your presence with His fullness of joy. Father, we pray that You would truly bless this truth to our hearts even now, drawing us all closer to Yourself. That we would give praise to your name. That our Savior lives. And that we would now even commit ourselves to living our lives for His glory. Seeking to serve and honor Him and to obey His commands. Until that glorious resurrection day. Father, we pray that as you apply these truths to us. That truly your name would be lifted up and glorified in us and through us as we seek to declare, to go and tell of the risen Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation that He has wrought for sinful man. We pray, Father, for Your blessing upon us in these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.